pastor mentioned this morning, or just recently, that we were, we've been here a couple times, my wife and I. Uh, my wife is sitting here in the second row. If you're wondering who she is, she's the girl who matches me, the purple dress. Um, we kind of have a running joke. When we're at our home church, we always seem to match. But they always ask, so who plans this? Well, it's whoever gets dressed first. <laughs> I get, she gets dressed first. I'm like, well, I, I have a purple shirt, too. I guess I'll wear a purple shirt. If I get dressed first, she says, well, I have a purple dress. I'll wear a purple dress. So it's never really, you know, planned, but it is planned in some way. And part of probably that reason it's ingrained in us is, is we traveled on ministry teams for so long where we were wore coordinating outfits most of the time, singing in different churches. And we just... That's how we met. That's how we really developed our relationship, and that's just kind of how it's continued. And part of that ministry team, as, pa- as Pastor mentioned, has been here in Hermantown a couple different years. My wife played the piano, and I sang um, in different, uh, a couple different years. I think I've been here three different years in a row. Um, and this was always a highlight church for us, I was mentioning in Sunday school. We always loved coming up to Hermantown. Duluth is one of my favorite areas, believe it or not, to come. And I mentioned in Sunday school because I've only been here during the summertime. <laughs> but walking around Duluth, I always see the, you know, the tunnels going from building to building. I'm like, oh, I bet winter is pretty tough here occasionally. Wait yeah, wait till tomorrow. <laughs> so, but I, I, you know, Duluth is a very special area. I really love being up here, being around the lake, seeing the different areas. The wooded areas are probably one of my favorites. I grew up in western Colorado. My wife grew up in Ohio where there's a lot more trees in Iowa. And that's where we're living right now is at Iowa. We both were students at Faith Baptist Bible College, and now we're headed towards Germany. And we have a table display set up right around the corner. Um, we encourage you as you're walking out, grab one of our prayer cards there, put it up on your fridge, be praying for us, sign up for our prayer letter. We send one out once a month, and we also have a Facebook page. Uh, if you like our Facebook page, Snow's Number 2 Germany, you'll get updates of how you can be praying for us. And we really do covet your prayers. And we encourage you also, come back tonight. This morning we were able just to share in Sunday school what Germany is like and some verses that God used to kind of push us towards missions and ministry, at least me. This evening we'll be sharing our our story and we'll be really intertwining Psalm 115 very closely with that. That is a very special psalm to my wife and I and we'd like to share it with you. And really hopefully our prayer is that the, the Psalms psalmist who wrote that psalm's prayer is answered, that God is glorified that he will be made large in your eyes. And when you come this evening, that is our goal and that is our purpose, not for you to walk away thinking of us, but to be thinking about your God, who has a plan for the Snells, but also has a plan for you. And we're going to get a little glimpse of that even this morning. As you, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. We'll be in verses 57 through 62. Luke 9, 57 through 62. My devotions this past month has been reading through the book of Luke, and this is a passage of scripture that has really struck me. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus at moments takes people aside and just kind of explains what it's really like to be a disciple. And it's not what you would think. It's not something that's rosy. It's not something that's easy. It's not something that anyone can really do or really can do. He always describes it as it is. It's hard. It's difficult. And Luke 9, 57 through 62 is one of those moments when he really just gets real with people what it's like if you follow me. It's not easy. It's hard. During World War I, the cover of Leslie's Weekly, a a periodical that was going out in July 1916, published 
It's it's periodical with a famous poster, an iconic figure, a cartoonist drew of Uncle Sam. He was used during the War of 1812 to kind of perpetuate more people to get joining to the army. And World War I was the iconic painting. I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's of him standing in front of the magazine with his eyes glaring out at the passersby with his finger pointed. And he's saying, I want you to join the U.S. Army. I want you to join the U.S. Army. Uncle Sam, U.S., United States, it was this figure to say the United States needs people to serve. Needs people to combat this great evil that is against us. Needs people to join a bigger cause that are outside of just themselves. And people gave in, joined. People gave up their homes, their families. Young men gave up sweethearts, jobs, money, schooling to do this. They sacrificed so much because there was a call. I want you for the U.S. Army. It was personal. And Jesus, when he came to this earth, he took people aside and he says, I want you to be my disciple. I want you to drop everything that you're doing and I want you to sacrifice all that you have and I want you to follow me. And here in these verses, we get a glimpse of three individuals. They're unnamed. And in fact, when we look at Luke 9.57, these verses, we don't see what their response is. We don't get to know if they followed Christ. We don't know what their decision is. And as a result, Luke writes it in such a way where we can place ourselves right there. Here's this man. Here was the opportunity. What did he do? Well, we don't know. What would you do? And that's the question we'll be asking ourselves as we look over these three individuals, these three men. God wants you to follow him. That is clear in these verses. You look in verse 57. I will follow. 59. Follow me. Verse 61. I will follow. That is clearly the theme here in this passage. Following Christ. Being his disciple, the question is, what is required? And as we go through these three individuals, we will see that there are three exchanges that we need to be making to, that are required of us in order for us to be a disciple, a follower of Christ. And what are the exchanges? Well, we get the first exchange in verses 57 through 58, and our first character. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, Luke 9, 57, a certain man, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. This is a volunteer. This is an eager recruit. He wants to follow Christ. And what's Jesus' response? Well, it's not necessarily what I would think with an eager recruit. He says, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Why does Jesus respond in such a way to this certain man as Luke describes him? Well, this certain man, if you look in a parallel passage where this this is written by Matthew, we read that this certain man is more than just a certain man. Luke didn't feel it important to include that he was also a scribe. Matthew writes him, a scribe comes up to Jesus and says, I will follow you wherever you go. And then Jesus gives him this response. Who is a scribe? Well, a scribe is a student of the Old Testament law at that point in time. He was an interpreter of the law. People would come to him and say, well, what does this mean? What does that mean? And as a result, 
he had great authority amongst the people. He had position amongst the people. He had security, job security. He had everything that we would ever want or need to live a good life, a comfortable life. So he comes up to Jesus and says, I want to follow you. No doubt intrigued by Jesus' radical teaching of the law. It was far different than what Judaism was teaching at that point in time. It was deeper. It was more meaningful. Well, I want to follow you. I want to be your student. And Jesus turned to him and says, Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But I have nowhere to lay my head. Odd response. Why? Well, have you ever seen a homeless fox? Ever. I've never seen one. They've always seemed to either be running across the road or going to their homes. They have their homes taken care of. Birds, they always have a place to build a nest. God providentially takes care of all the creatures of the earth, gives them everything that we need. But ironically, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, and the phrase Son of Man speaks of Christ's heavenly dwelling. It's prophetically, in Daniel chapter 7, it says, speaks of the Son of Man coming up and setting his kingdom from heaven. And when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, he's saying, I'm coming from a different realm, and I'm coming here to live on this earth. I am sent from God. I am God. I am divine. And yet, while animals have a place to live, I have nowhere to live. The exchange you need to make, sir, Jesus is saying, is you need to give up your earthly comforts. You need to exchange your earthly home from a heavenly home, from where I come from. You need to be a pilgrim here on this earth. This man was an idealist. He was an enthusiast. He was of sanguine temperament, Lansky writes. He is superficial and does not count the cost, what it will really cost for him. He sees the soldiers on parade and the uniforms and the glittering arms, and he's eager to join but forgets the exhausting marches, the bloody battles, the graves, and perhaps unmarked graves. This was going to cost him something. You have to give up your comforts. You can't be a Judaism. You can't serve in Judaism as a scribe and be my disciple. They don't go together. You need to leave your earthly comforts, your earthly security and home, and join me and ultimately be rejected. Isn't it nice just to be comfortable at home when you go home after a long days of work? You know, you you do things at home that you never do in public. You know, you, you click up the recliner, you sit in your chair, and you just relax. It's, you know, the other night, or not the other night, I should say, at one point in the evening, sometimes I will go downstairs and I kind of want a snack, you know? And I'll only do this in my home. I won't do this at a visitor's home. I won't do this tonight. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. And I'll go to, you know, I'll, I, my wife made some cookies on. down for a snack so you know you open the fridge and oh there's the milk so you just you just a little drink it and my wife's looking at me right now <laughs> i've done this before i mean i don't do it but i don't do it often but you just just a little bit and don't tell me you guys have never done it now i'm not the only one who's drinking milk out of the carton or juice out of the carton you just want a little bit <sighs> there's a lot of things i'm drinking out of the carton apparently. <laughs> i don't do that in public but i'm at home i'm comfortable so i do it you know, you go home after Sunday evening service or Sunday morning service, and my attire normally is a t-shirt, athletic shorts, and my dress socks pulled clear up to my knees, you know? 
I'm comfortable at home. No one can judge me. This is where I live. This is my house. Singing in the shower. Some people don't sing in public, but you get them in the shower and they sing out really, really loud. Home is where you're comfortable. And this man is comfortable right now. And Jesus is saying, this is not where you should be comfortable. This world, if you're comfortable in this world, you're missing out on what I really want you to do as my disciple. In fact, if you live on this earth and if you are a follower of Christ, you shouldn't be comfortable in this world. And being comfortable in this world shouldn't be your focus. If you're living in this world and you have no arguments with, the car, uh, with people around you and, and no strain because of your faith in Christ with relationships of your family and friends, then there's probably an issue here. You're probably not following Christ. You're probably not being a, a disciple, living for him. Now, I'm not saying you go out and make arguments and you know be that bully that goes around telling people they're wrong and bashing them over the head, but as you're living for Christ... A natural thing should be a little bit of tension here. This world should not be your home. If you have no problem going around and living like your unsaved friends, I remember in high school hearing of parties that they would be a part of where clearly sinful things were going on. If I had no problem going to those things and being a part of those things, there's a problem here. There's an issue in my heart and life. I'm not following Christ. I might be saved, but I might be turning my back on him. I might be walking the other way. There's issues here. And my whole life shouldn't be focused on being as comfortable as I can right now. Who is Jesus? The Son of Man. God incarnate. From heaven. He says, you follow me. That's where I'm going to lead you to an eternal home where I will prepare for you a mansion, a dwelling place that is for you. Live in light of that home, not this home. So how I spend my money, how I spend my time, am I focused on making myself comfortable here? Or, I hate to use the term comfortable there, (laughs) laying side up treasures in heaven, comparing laying up treasures here on this earth where moth and dust corrupts. See, it's a different perspective of the life. No longer it's how much money can I get, how much stuff can I get, how comfortable can I live. Instead of saying, well, what can I do for Christ? How can I live for him? How can I be focused upon heaven and taking people with me? And that's going to be uncomfortable. Foxes will have holes. Birds will have nests. But you won't feel comfortable. You'll have nowhere to lay your head. And as I mentioned here, we don't see the man's response. It's silent. Luke doesn't say, and he followed Christ. We don't know what he did. You can speculate, you can think, but you really just, we don't know. I think Luke does that. Say, okay, so what would you do, reader? What would you, Theophilus, who he's writing to, would you follow Christ? And that's really the question I'm asking. Jesus is asking us right now. Are you going to do that? Are you going to forfeit your comforts of earth, your earthly home, and exchange that for a heavenly home? Are you going to live your life in light of eternity, or you live your life about the present moment? And a disciple says, I'm looking at heaven. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. That's the attitude of a disciple. Where are you today? How are you living your life? Are you living like a disciple should? 
Have you made that exchange? Are you choosing the temporal world or the eternal kingdom? What are you going to do? Jesus says, I want you to be my disciple. The second exchange is found with the second man, verses 59 through 60. And he said unto another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. So here we have a chosen disciple. Jesus saying, I want you, literally, pointing his finger, follow me. And this man presents an excuse. And if there was ever an excuse that I would feel would be appropriate, this was it. Let me bury my father. This is the best excuse I think anyone could possibly give. But Jesus doesn't say, okay, go bury your father. What's his response? He says, let the dead bury their dead, but you go preach the kingdom of God. So as we look at this exchange, we need to think first, answer the question, is this father, a lot of commentators argue if this father is dead or mostly dead. Is he nearing death, coming close, and in some indeterminate amount of time he's going to pass, and his son just wants to spend time with him, and, and then his father will die, and then he can leave? Or is his father getting buried that very moment, that very hour, and he needs to leave? And in Judaism, the burial of a loved one, a family member, especially a parent, is of great importance. Honor your father and mother, the, the law says. To not bury, to not be involved in that process, to take great care, is a great offense to the community, a great offense to the father, to the family. So what Jesus is calling him to do here, whichever perspective you take, it's highly volatile. He's causing him to make a great and grave choice. And I think the answer that Jesus gives the man is what we need to really see and notice and focus on. He says, let the dead bury their dead. Let me go bury my father. No, no, no. Let the dead bury their dead. How does that work? Do you have dead people rising up from the ground and then saying, okay, I'm going to take the dead person with me to the tomb and then close the tomb up and let dead. What he's doing here is he's making us really think about this. Well, who are the dead people burying the dead? And I think he's talking about spiritually dead people burying physically dead people. In the mind of Jesus, where is life? Well, it's with him. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Where is life? It's following him. Everything outside of being a disciple of Christ is death. And everyone who refuses Christ and doesn't want to be a disciple is dead. We look in Ephesians chapter 2, and Paul writes, talking to the believers, before they were saved, he calls them, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And that's how we all are before we get saved. And what he's ultimately calling him to is, I, want, I don't want you to be spiritually dead. Let people who are dead spiritually take care of that for you. I have a bigger purpose for you. I want you to have eternal life. But not only have eternal life yourself, what does he say he wants to do? Let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead, but you contrast, what does he want him to do? You preach the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Kingdom of God, preaching it. Well, ultimately, just to simplify that, is is you preach me and what I am offering on behalf of my Father. I am offering eternal life. I'm going to die on the cross. Preach that to everybody. Entrance into my Father's kingdom. So he's really giving 
the man life spiritually and the opportunity and the commendation to give spiritual life to 10, 20, 100, 200, thousands more people. And we get an insight into God's mind here, the importance and the perception of what is more important, a physical death or a spiritual life. And God gives this man the opportunity to say, no, spiritual life is far more important than the death even of your father. This spring, I'm trying to plant flowers. It's the first time I've ever tried it. These flowers up here are beautiful, by the way. I'm, I think they're fake. I'm not sure. Maybe I should check them out. They're gorgeous up here. Okay, if I were to plant these two flowers up here, and I'd be watering them and taking care of them, well, eventually, okay, just even if they're fake, if I'd be taking care of them, one of them would die, okay? So one of them dies, but instead of taking care of the thing that's alive and growing, I come over here and I just spend all my attention and I pour more water and I'm like, oh, I gotta get pulling out with this plant. After time goes by, all the other plants that I have, they will die as well. So instead of having just one dead plant and a lot of living plants, I will now have two, three, four dead plants. Jesus is saying, your time with your father, it is precious. And we have to balance this out with Paul's teaching when he writes to Timothy, that we are to care for our families or we are worse than infidels, Paul says. That is important. But the physical death of a loved one is not as important as the spiritual life of another. Jesus sees spiritual life as far more valuable than the physical death. Well, why is that? Well, I think it's because Jesus solved that physical death problem. He knew what he was doing. See, Jesus came to this earth to die on the cross for all of our sins, and he went to the tomb, and he was buried, and he was dead physically. But what did he do? He rose again three days after that, defeating death, taking away its sting. So now, physical death really isn't as big of a deal. It's still sorrowful. It's still painful. But the people who believe in Christ, physical death is really just a step towards eternity. What's more important, you might have Jesus saying, I want you to take more people with you to heaven. I want you to preach. And unfortunately, families are some of the toughest things for missionaries, for disciples, to really get involved in God's work. You know, I'd like to accept Christ as my Savior, but I come from a family that is of a different religious belief, and I don't want to cause the strain of relationship there. Well, what's more important, your physical life or your spiritual life or their physical your physical relationships and jesus would say your spiritual life is more important than that and while it is hard it's not easy for this man while it is difficult specifically in missions some disciples are called to be missionaries for him and i'm talking to some of my friends at bible college and one of the hardest pulls for some people who are thinking about being a foreign missionary is their family leaving them behind and some totally forfeit the idea because they their parents really won't let them go. Won't let their grandkids go. And one thing that I've really learned through this process of deputation, as we were preparing, as we were preparing to go on the journey, it takes great faith for a grandmother, a grandfather, a mom or dad to say, go. 
I commit you into God's hands to, for you to do this service. That takes faith. Just as much faith for you to go. Parents, follow Christ. Don't let the physical life supersede your eternal life and the eternal lives of your kids and those that they may impact. Grandparents, same thing. We need to keep this in perspective. You are for sure. Honor your father and mother. Take care of them. Make sure they are doing well. But if Christ wants you to do something, you better obey wherever and whatever he wants you to do. And don't let physical relationships, physical life, keep you from obeying Christ. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, Christ loves you. He died on the cross for your sins. And what he's offering you is far better than your physical life is. He wants you to have eternal life. This man, we don't see his answer. But will you follow him? Will you? Jesus says, I want you to be my disciple. Will you exchange your earthly home for a heavenly home? Will you exchange the priority of physical life over eternal life? And lastly, we see in the last exchange required of us in verse 61 and 62. Another also said, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me go bid them farewell, which are at my house. Here's a combination of the first two guys. The first guy is a volunteer. I will go. The second guy, Jesus says, I want you to go. And this guy said, but he has an excuse. This guy says, I will go, but I have an excuse. I want to follow you, but first let me go say goodbye to my family and friends at my house, and then I will come follow you. And Jesus Jesus sees right through him, okay? This man really, I believe, has no intention of following Christ. He just makes it very clear and plain here. He says, And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. The idea of a plow here, an old antique instrument as they were using, there was just probably a big piece of wood with a prow going down to the ground. Sometimes people would push it themselves, and sometimes uh, they would have oxen in front of them. They would poke them with sticks to make them go the way they want to go. Whatever way it would be, Jesus gives this picture to the man. He says, no man puts his hand to the prow, and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Uh, driving down the road, my dad was notorious for driving through the mountains and seeing deer and wildlife along the side of the road. I grew up in Colorado. And as he would look, no doubt he'd be driving, and as he'd look, he'd be like, oh, and he'd start turning that way. Oh, look, a deer over there. And there he is. <laughs> and a person who would be plowing a field to make the field as profitable as possible would have to plant as straight of lines and plow them as good as he can. In order to do that, he would make a point of reference out in the field, and he would just push or allow the oxen to pull it towards that. So it would be foolish for a person to look to the left, to look to the right. But this plowman that Jesus is saying is comical. This man isn't just taking a glance to the left, passing the right. He says, and looking behind him. This is a stare. This is a man plowing who's looking like this the entire time as he's just starting to plow. How much is he going to plow? Nothing. He's going to fall on his face. He's going to trip. Nothing's going to work. So Jesus says, he's unfit. He won't do anything for me. He is unfit for the kingdom of God. He'll get nothing done. So don't go say goodbye to your friends. Don't look back. Don't go say bye to your friends. If, I, if you're with me right now and you're not willing to follow me, Jesus is saying, 
When you get away from you around all your friends and you start getting back into your own rhythm of life, there's no way you're going to follow me. Follow me now, Jesus said. And I think that imagery works very well for us today because there's a lot of distractions for us as believers, isn't there? You know, we just went through the first one. I think Luke places this third guy here at the end just to really kind of emphasize the power of what Jesus is trying to get across here. This isn't a part-time job being a disciple of Christ. This isn't something that you just do on the weekends. This is your life. This is needing an intense focus. You need to exchange your distracted mind to a focus of Christ. The third exchange is a distracted mind to a focus of Christ. And the first man, what does he do? He puts behind the world, his comforts, his life. The second man puts behind his family and physical relationships. And if he's going and he says, you know what? I want to look at those again. Guess where he's going to go? Nowhere. He's going to get nothing done. When it's behind you, it's behind you. And other things pull at us too. Doubt in Christ. Doubt in God striving to obey and failing and Satan attacks us from all these different ways but we need to keep our eyes fixed ahead to plow a straight road we need to keep our eyes fixed on the item the item of Christ's cross and remind ourselves continually over and over again what Christ has done for us and why I am doing what I am doing because if you forget why you're doing what you're doing being a disciple you will fall and you will stop And that might be near you. That might be you here today. You might have said, you know, at one point in my life, I I was a Christian and I was striving for Christ, but now my heart has kind of gone cold to these types of things. And I don't really know what my status is with God today. Well, chances are you've probably gotten distracted with some things going on around you in this world. Physical things, relationships, and they have completely taken your gaze and turned them completely around, and you're not doing anything. You know, but Christ, as we talked about this morning, he offers forgiveness. He is faithful and just to forgive you. If you just come back to Christ and you refocus upon that cross, you say, you know what, Jesus? I've been falling away. I haven't been focused, but I see what you want from me now, and I want to get back on track. Jesus says, come on. I want you to be my disciple. I want you to be fit and to work and to serve and to honor me and continually be putting all those things back behind you. He offers this to us. Here are the, is what is required. An exchange. An exchange for a heaven, earthly home for a heavenly home. We don't know what the disciple did. What will you do? Will you make that exchange? Will you use your goods, your prosperity for his glory alone? Or will you continue to build up comforts of for your own life here? Second exchange, the priority of physical life over eternal life. Do you see the value of people around you the way God does? Do you see the great blessings and richness that you have in Christ and what he has done for you in death? One of the sweetest things for a Christian, for them, and while this might sound morbid, is really for them to die in some ways. While it's painful, there's so much that happens. Eternal life is spoken of, is preached of at the funeral, and it's a celebration more than a mourning. 
is still there for the lost and the separation, the brief separation from the loved one, but yet we will see them again. And that is awesome. Physical life is not as important as spiritual life. And how are you prioritizing that? And lastly, where's your focus at right now? Have you fallen off your plow? Or are you working? Are you serving? Are you striving here, a part of this church here in Hermantown, to reach your community, to reach people for the gospel around the world? How's your relationship with Christ? Where is your gaze? Is your attitude, I'd rather have Jesus more than anything, more than this world can afford? Is your attitude, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, none go with me, still I will follow, no turning back, no turning back, my cross I'll carry, I'll follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. Don't turn back. Don't stop. Jesus is looking at you right now and asking you the question, I want you to be my disciple. What will you do? Let's pray. Father, your son was such a good teacher to us. Lord, we thank you that he was honest, even though it hurts sometimes. And Lord, I just pray that you would deal with through your spirit in each and every one of our hearts to help us respond rightly. For the one here, Lord, who doesn't know you as his Savior, I pray that they would turn to your Son, Jesus Christ, and place their faith and trust in him for their salvation. For believers here who are getting caught up with the world and what's around them, I pray that they would get their (coughs) gaze fixed back upon you and strive to honor you. For those who are living comfortably and living for this world, Lord, I pray that they would live for a heavenly home. Lord, whatever our hearts need to be and response individually needs to be, I pray that we would make that. Lord, you are gracious and merciful to give us such a great teacher in your Son. We praise you for him and thank you for him. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Please take your hymn.